0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Tuesday Talks. Shout out to DJ Sofa, getting the energy going as always. I'm Ryan Shepard. I'm hosting today with Ladarian Gillette. We're excited to have you all here with us for another amazing edition of Tuesday Talks. Um, A quick, I'll I'll say a quick word off script, um, but for any of our folks who are in the U.S. uh, who may be voting today, we encourage you uh, to exercise your right to vote. Um, remind a friend of voting day, be sure that you take full advantage of that uh, and select the leaders that you believe in uh, who will represent us uh, at all the levels um, uh, within our government. With that said, let's jump right into this week's edition of Tuesday Talks. I'll start by giving you a bit of background about how we got to this place. Uh, The CARE Atlanta Global Innovation Hub convenes people and organizations dedicated to defeating poverty by achieving social justice and equity The Innovation Hub creates the space programs and support systems to connect leaders with global practitioners in hopes of solving the world's most pressing problems. Tuesday Talks was created to build bridges. We hope that each week our participants leave with a deeper understanding of the topics we discuss and feel more clear about how they can contribute to solutions in their personal journey. At the Innovation Hub, we believe in the leadership of women. And we especially look to highlight expertise from Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. We're committed to centering up and uplifting all justice-centered voices in our conversations and programming. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the magic and the power of storytelling. We all know that storytelling is one of the most powerful means that we have to influence, teach, and inspire. Effective storytelling forges connections between people, places, ideas, and in many ways takes us back to important moments in time. Stories convey culture, history, and values that have the the ability to unite us. And when it comes to our countries, communities, and families, we understand intuitively that the stories we hold in common are an important part of the ties that bind us. And in many cases, they shape the ways we understand ourselves and our relationship to the world around us. So in today's conversation, we'll give space to amazing and pioneering women. We're creating spaces for communities to understand and embrace their stories as a way to make positive change within themselves and the world. So let me introduce you to our dynamic panel. First, I want you to meet Mariana Santos. Mariana is the founder of Chicas Poderosas. She runs the organization as executive director director with a team of female leaders from different industries and backgrounds. The power of diversity and collaboration has driven her life. And today she's living the dream of running her own organization in a shared governance model. extending the potential of co-creation to create spaces for all voices to be heard. Mariana, welcome, thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much, this is such an honor to be here, a big hi from Portugal.
0: Fantastic, we're excited to hear from you today. Next I want you all to meet, perfect. Next I want you all to meet Dr. Michelle Haidt. Dr. Haidt is the director of the Ethel Waddell Githy Honors Program, and co-directs prestigious international fellowship at Spelman College, where she is an associate professor of English. She studies and publishes on trauma, death and mourning in the African-American culture and on Toni Morrison. She's an advisor to the Historic Preservation Board at Southview Cemetery, the oldest for-profit Black-owned cemetery in the United States. Dr. Height, welcome to today's conversation. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Next, I want you to meet Robin Maxkey Robin Maxkey Stockbridge Mohican is an award-winning creative and indigenous rights activist. She was the subject of the Google of the Google documentary Between Worlds and co-starred on the PBS series Code Trip and her work regularly focuses on redefining storytelling through technology while broadening the participation of underserved communities within creative space. Robin, welcome to Tuesday Talks.
2: excited to
0: be here thank you we're glad to have you um so let's get into our conversation today we always start by asking our speakers to tell us a little bit more about the communities that you call home and the communities that you advocate for through your work let's hear from robin dr height and mariana
2: so hi, my name is Robin, <laughs> um, I'll just start off, I focus a lot on rural and marginalized communities, specifically reservations, um, or communities adjuncting reservations, um, oftentimes they're dealing with lack of resources that the rest of the United States sort of glosses over to give an example, the Navajo Nation in 2019. Fifteen thousand homes got electricity for the first time. So when we're talking about access to things, it's not just access to Wi-Fi. It's access to the infrastructures that create this. Um, those are the communities that I tend to focus on. So I don't, I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> I know everyone.
0: No, nah, all good. And consider this to be a casual conversation between fifty friends. No worries. It's, it's it all flows. Uh, Dr. Hyatt, what about you? What communities do you belong to? What communities are you advocating?
3: Um, I mean, in terms of where I belong, I still very much identify uh, with Black working class culture. I grew up Black working class and um, first generation college student myself. Uh, And so, I mean, in terms of advocacy, I think that my work uh, always advocates for the value and dignity of everyday Black people. Uh, And so I'm very interested right now in trying to prepare a world to accept the dignity and value of everyday Black stories as opposed to um, connecting Black life to narratives of catastrophe.
0: Absolutely, and we're excited to learn more about that work uh, and the perspective that you bring to it. Mariana, what about you? What communities are home for you? Who are you advocating?
1: So I am Portuguese, uh, but very early in my life, I went to Latin America, where I really connected. So I feel much more Latin American than European. But beyond that, uh, I'm advocating for representation in media, mainly. So I I advocate for women. Well, it started as advocating from women to women. Then we understood that transversal, transversal, there are so many... Uh, communities suffering from non-representation in media, such as the non-binary community, LGBT, uh, Afro-descendants, indigenous communities and so on. So women share lack of representation or misrepresentation with all these groups. So we have been growing our representation or our goal we started with women from women to women now we are women and lgbt community focus and then transversal to other areas of misrepresentation most mostly not in latin america
0: i got it. so let let's let's pick up on that let's start there how are you thinking about the work of representation and what are some of the goals that you've developed how do you measure success um with
1: So lots of questions. So measuring success for us. uh, So we have been alive for the past eight years. We are a non-for-profit registered in California, but uh, most of our operation takes place in Latin America. Uh, We have 16 countries with community, we call them chapters. They have communities of women leaders. We started by training women how to report on digital, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, and making women more confident with technology because in newsroom, uh, there are very few women working in setting the agenda and in the leadership roles. So we wanted to, you know, give up, uh, give women a power for them to use their own power. And then with women comes, uh, you know, Afro-descendant people who are not represented in news, Uh, We always have the lens from the Northern Hemisphere, you know, talking to South African college. uh, They say as well that still journalists uh, in African countries shape their stories the way they read in the BBC, in Neiman, you know. uh, So we need to tell our own stories. So our work at Chicas is really to train women and non-binary people to tell their own stories uh, through journalism skills, to collaborative journalism, and then to partnering with media outlets all across these countries we have been measuring impacts since day one if to see if we create impact in society and how it impacts our work and in Lat- in argentina for instance last year when they were discussion uh, abortion law and when we had 80 percent more women dying during covid times finally they in parliament they, they mentioned a study that we have done to report the lack of uh, human rights these people have so and then the the law passed so now it's legal and uh, and safe and free to to have hospital assistance if a woman has a miscarriage Just, so this is the kind of impact we've been aiming to to get and really i really agree with you the power of storytelling is the way we shape the the world we see so
0: absolutely and thank you thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for sharing so much um with us let's actually pick up on that last thread dr height this idea about the power of stories and the ways that they influence um, the way that we see the world and the way that we define ourselves. Um, what are the elements needed to tell a story that lasts? And why do we why, why are we so moved by stories as humans?
3: I actually, you know, I'm thinking that I would pick up on where Mariana left off because I think a part of um, what makes those stories endure uh, is that it, it connects with something that is true. Uh, and it reflects the human condition. And I think that a part of the trouble that we have, um, particularly of mar- with marginalized people um, in a highly saturated media environment is that those dominant narratives about who we are can become sort of imbibed and individual people begin to connect their individual stories with that overarching narrative that is often um, sort of against the possibilities for multiple ways of flourishing. So the challenge is to um, teach young people or any people, uh, I don't think they necessarily have to be young, But uh, to sort of identify with the truth in their own experience, right? And generally, when it comes to media, the goal is to learn how to figure out how to say, I am not that. Uh, And then to find a vocabulary for what it is that you are, right? And who you are. And uh, I think the possibility for us as a global community Uh, of flourishing sort of requires us to understand that we can all benefit from those truths that get shared uh, and the way that we encounter uh, our questions, our troubles, our problems um, through this sort of course along the route of the human condition. So stories that we read, what they allow us to do is that they allow us to get close to the human condition without suffering ourselves, right? Um, And so I think that what is happening uh, is that we sort of are less readers and, uh, and people who appreciate those stories, and we've become consumers of dominant narratives and media. And so our challenge, I think, is to become sort of people who learn how to write. Stories, because in this moment, post-COVID, I mean, it really is a season of authorship, and the goal is to write a different kind of future, given what we know about what matters to us now, and how our world can be organized.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, I I've spent a lot of time writing and reflecting over the last year and a half, and I've felt. Um, Like I've rediscovered even pieces of my own identity and my own story by doing those activities. Um, And and I think it brings up a perfect point that Robin, I would love to get perspective from you about. And that's um, how do we um, find ways to reclaim stories uh, if we're from communities that um, have either had our stories mistold, misrepresented, underrepresented for some significant period of time?
2: I think a lot of it is there used to be, you would come from an apologetic place when we were telling our story because the systems were not made, they were non-Indigenous systems that we were having to translate our stories to and tell our stories to. And I think we've entered this space now where it's like, why are we bending our stories to fit something that they were never meant to fit? Our stories are about our past, they're about our present and they're about our future. The way that a lot of Western even just the way that we talk, that Western is A to B. A lot of indigenous stories tend to be circular. This, And then we would bend this to like, have to fit this narrative. And I think we're coming from this place now where it's like, no, this is the way that we tell our story. This is our story. And this is how we're gonna move forward. And I think especially when it comes to indigenous and black communities reclaiming this space and taking this space, for so long, we haven't been allowed to tell our stories. Our stories have been painted with outside narratives, which starts to, in a sense, change our, like change the concept and the idea of our history. But that's still, but we're still very much dealing with the reality of that. And so that's where stories are, I don't know, at some point that people started relegating them to uh, this idea that they're not factual when for a lot of us, oral histories are That that is everything that we have. That is the power, and we have. So I think it's about not not apologizing for that space that we're taking, and just telling it the way yeah. that we want to.
0: Absolutely, and and Mariana, I know this is something that you all focus on creating those spaces where um folks can safely tell their stories, where they can uh, you know have a platform to amplify those narratives. How are you all going? about doing that work and why is that such a critical component of how you are are seeking out.
1: For me, it's what my colleagues here have just said, is that uh, if we don't have role models, if we don't look in the news and we see ourselves pictures as successful and as uh, taking positions of leadership, taking decisions, then this is the, the world we're gonna believe in. Like apo- apologizing for taking space, you know, this is what we are talking about. But I think we, we come to a moment, we need to stop apologizing and owning our own story And we need, I I understand this because the work we do with women and with myself personally is like, I have to step up. If there is a leadership role that I can take I want to take so I can make my voice heard, so I I was so happy to receive this this opportunity to talk with you and this is such an amazing, cool program and such a good concept, congratulations. And this is it, you are shining light on topics that you think are misrepresented, that needs a little bit more attention and you get people to talk about it. We don't need the, you know, Latin America is majorly led by white male dominating the, the media agenda. And women are not represented or not well represented with with perspective. And uh, they are depicted in the way that they have to show up and apologize all the time. So uh, we have to stop apologizing, owning our place and and tell our stories. And yeah, these shining lights changes realities. We have been seeing laws being changed. And uh, if people continue to speak up their truth, like you were saying, then I think we have small baby steps to give, but we are giving them.
0: That's excellent. And I I think some of that feeds, Dr. Height, into the work that you're doing doing at Spelman, um, focusing particularly on um, helping Black students find their voices um, to tell their stories. Uh, And also, obviously, Spelman's historic focus on uplifting women. Talk to us a little bit about that kind of intersection and some of the things that are inspiring you as you work with our future leaders.
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think that what happens, particularly when you do teach at a HBCU, is that there are these presumptions about the kind of work that you do. And I think the first way that I interrupt that is to make it very clear that I don't do work on race. I mean, race is this thing that kind of locks you into this antagonism uh, with Blackness and whiteness. And it's about sort of telling these narratives of grievance. So you can really only tell one kind of story. So um, what I teach students to do, um, and now what I'm trying to do is trying to coax that from high school students, um, but my work is in loving Blackness and that is work beyond grievance, right? It's about the way that the Black, narrative is about our endurance. And that cannot be a story that's about an antagonism with some white people. That's about how we make community and how we have an experience joy and fellowship. And certainly historically black colleges are spaces where you see that articulated on a daily basis in micro and macro ways. So in terms of the work that I can do on a a HBCU campus is very rich uh, in helping students learn how to fill out that narrative and ask that question about why you love blackness, because generally they can't do it. They can talk about the grievance um, and the pain and the weight, but how do you talk about how you live a life that is full and complete and invested in flourishing and growth? How do you do that? How did your grandparents do it? Um, And so a part of what I'd like to do with the applications that I receive is figure out ways to get those students who are applying to our honors program to stop telling those race stories, right? Um, And so some of that work has to do with the kind of prompts, but sometimes it has to do with how you position yourself um, to the point of being Spellman. We have a a, a position where we can lead from and we can encourage students and we can teach those students, those young students, uh, young people uh, who are applying how to look for uh the narratives on their grandmother's walls of graduations and weddings and birthday parties and commencements um signs of flourishing and know that hbcus and other spaces are interested in what that sounds like uh to the point of mariana um or and even robin saying that yeah there, are, there is fiction, um, but in that fiction, there is truth, right, because every true thing and a fact. And so it's important to help those young people connect to that kind of truth.
0: This is, um, this is so perfectly timed. I was having a conversation with some, I guess a few weeks ago along these similar lines where um, we're just talking about some of our differences and our backgrounds and our upbringing. And I shared that I'm from a family that is unapologetically, and very proudly black. That is like core to my DNA and my identity. And the person, I think we've heard this narrative before, but the person was shocked. You know, the question they asked was, well, does that put you at odds with white people? Do you have issues with white people? And I mean, it kind of laughed at it, but no, that's like me celebrating my identity or something that's core to who I am does not become antagonistic to someone else's identity. And in fact, this is kind of the core why we always start Tuesday Talks by asking people to share with us the communities that they call home. It's a space where we celebrate and and create space to learn and understand about those different identities, not in conflict, but a part of this beautiful community that we're um, building together. Um, and, And so Robin, I wonder what your perspectives would be about how those things become critical to the ways that we represent a, a wide range of stories in media. Um, we represent better stories of the creative class or of people that uh, might not necessarily occupy significant positions of power, but certainly have rich experiences and rich stories worth telling.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting how the indigenous narrative, especially in the United States, has become one that's solely told from the outsider. It's solely told from non-Indigenous people who want to tell our story. And then it's become such a part of American history that it's reframed that we can only tell our story in relation to non-Indigenous people. And it's that's where I think things have to reframe. And this is echoing both of you when you were talking about, when we're telling our stories and we're talking about Native empowerment, and people's question is, well, are you upset with white people? Or I can understand why you're upset. And it's like, I'm not even thinking of you. And that, that isn't a negative, th- like people need to understand what that means. This is space that is ours to tell our story. This is our, this is our story. And this is our, and the thing is, again, because people haven't made that space for us or people are not used to seeing natives take that space when they tell our stories it's and again I'm echoing um, the other panelists, but it it becomes this thing where they only can understand our story in relation to them. So it's always this this narrative that's very almost dehumanizing to us because it's told in a place coming from where we have to reference issues that are going on on a. Re- on the reservation that are negative, nothing positive of what we're doing, because they can't fathom that. They can't fathom us thriving, I think, without relation to them, like without relate. Really, and when I say them, I just mean outsiders who are non-Indigenous, like people, and specifically in this context, I do mean white people where it's this context of, well, I don't, I can't relate to this. Like, I don't understand the reservation. Can you meet me halfway? And I. I think native stories sometimes can just be told as native stories, and that's that. Like there isn't we don't have to put this extra spin on it to relate it to outsiders.
0: Yeah, th- this is a, a very um, salient point and Mariana, I would love to, for you to jump in here as well. Um, you know, sometimes there is a temptation that um, stories must be crafted for a mass audience in order to be accepted, especially, if they're from folks who have identities that are not necessarily celebrated. How do we start to shatter that motor breakthrough to say, well, sometimes we can tell stories that are for the community only and those things don't have to be marginalized.
1: Absolutely. Actually, we are telling the stories from the community to the world, like stuff that is happening and that does not show up in media. And that's super important to the health and life safe, you know, of of women in Latin America. So, for example, um, we, sorry, uh, sorry, I had a blackout. Sometimes it happens to me. Can you just repeat the point so I connect?
0: Yeah, no problem. Just talking a little bit about um, the importance of stories being told from the perspective of the the community and 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 even for the community. Exactly.
1: Sorry, sorry about that. And I wanted to connect with Robin was saying because sometimes because we are telling women's stories, uh, they ask the same. So you are all homosexual. You are all gay. You don't like men. You want to kill men. And it's the same old narrative that you really need to come on. This is not 1990. Let's move on. So, so, and then about the representation, for instance, stories that interest us, like access to reproductive rights during COVID, rights, you know, just the right of not be uh, harassed, and uh, we did investigations about that, and that investigation was, of course, to inform our community, but to inform the policymakers, and at the end of the day, it was the first time this, this kind of investigation was done, and it was relevated, like, of public interest. Mm-hmm. So the stories we are telling for ourselves, not only about the, the stories that are, are marginalizing these communities, are not allowing to live, you know, fair and, you know, free lives. So, yeah, it's a combination. And then we are teaming up with, like, United Nations and with uh, Planned Parenthood to talk about these topics that are underrepresented. they signify huge importance for these organizations. And we are trying to become the community vehicle which tells these stories.
0: I love it, I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Hyde, I wanna get more perspective from you here. So you talked a bit about um, your push for people to take up authorship um, and to start to write their own stories. How do we um, think about the kind of the different mediums for storytelling? So, for example, um, Robin talked about oral histories and oral stories. I know in the Black community, obviously, we have a, a strong and tremendous history of oral stories. Where do you, where do we find kind of the the benefits of the different mediums? Where do you fall on the continuum of exercising different forms of storytelling?
3: Uh, I love the possibilities uh, that the digital world has opened up. And I mean, and we're not going back, you know. Um, So I think it's important to embrace the possibilities wherever they are. Um, You know, so I do see that there is potential uh, for that. But at the same time, I don't want, I don't think that because um, this new technology presents us with New opportunities that that means that the stories necessarily get better, right? Um, that the technology itself doesn't make for a good story. I think what makes for a good story is understanding that stories are conveyors of insight and truth. Um, and so the point is to tell the truth. Um, and in telling the truth, what you're doing is you're giving people something that they can use. Um, and so that is, you know, like uh, in my it says that I am a Toni Morrison scholar. And that is what was so urgent for her about storytelling is that the stories convey insight that people need uh, to persist. Um, And so it's important to understand that that is why they are valuable and meaningful to us and for us. So I don't think that um, just because we have access to these the new medium um, or me- media, uh, that that means that we that we do a better job of it. So I think the the skill for conveying the insight is still very old fashioned. Um, but as I listen to my colleagues, what I also understand about any storyteller is that you have to be brave, right? You have to understand that it takes courage um, to to deny the over-determined narrative about who you are supposed to be. So a part of my work uh, with young, with students is to encourage them to choose themselves always. Uh, and that does require courage. Uh, and I didn't sort of recognize it until uh, they responded to sort of my way of responding to this mandate that you tell other people's stories or you tell stories that satisfy. Uh, And what Morrison would say is that no one would have dared ask Tolstoy to tell French stories. You just would not presume that this Russian would tell the stories of the French so um if i tell a good story that is rooted in african americans with the understanding that african-american people are humans uh, other human beings will connect to that story so a part of what it means to be courageous is to recognize your very humanity uh, and to insist on it Um, because as a mother of a 12 year old what i also understand is that to believe that you are at the center of everything is childish uh, and so a part of this sort of ambition uh, to have stories like be told so that they're all about you, it rejects the very kind of maturity that learning is good for. Uh, and like so for me, that that never is a privilege. You know, Du Bois calls what we talk about as racial privilege. He calls that the public and psychological wages of whiteness. And for me, Uh, That is what it's about. It's about these wages because it's just not a privilege to want to remain, to remain a child. Um, So yeah, so in, in teaching courage, a part of what I think I'm teaching is maturity um, and the desire for it in a, in a world that insists on childishness. But yeah, I think we do need to put away childish things.
0: (laughs) You're on fire today, Dr. Height. Robin, um, what what about, so Dr. Haidt hit on this idea of technology um, as a tool, not necessarily um, as an improvement in some cases, or not necessarily making something better than. How have you seen technology used in positive ways to amplify stories? What are some keen insights from the way you all are thinking about leveraging technology?
2: Can I just first say that Dr. Michelle Haidt, the amount of notes I just took, (laughs) what <laughs> <Like> you said. <laughs> so beautiful and so profound. As far as using technology, techn- it goes back to, I think for the longest time, we would ha- technology was posed to indigenous communities as this is something you can work for, you can build this for us, you can be- become part of the workforce for this. And it's like, no, technology is a tool and we can make it work for us. And so that's where Coding and that's where understanding programming and things like this is not as important as more just taking ownership of this medium and taking and creating and using this to create tools that can tell our stories the way we want to tell our stories that can convey what we want it to convey that we can. And again, this is it all boils down to just ownership ownership of representation ownership of narratives ownership of space ownership of all and so technology I just view as this incredible tool to tell these stories to build the things we want to build and also to relate to communities in ways that you know when we're putting on workshops or hackathons and you come into a community where there's even limited access to electricity it's not about hey I want to teach you to code it's like hey what What issues do you guys wanna work on? What are you interested in? What do you wanna solve and how can we meet you and how can we build this to, or how can we build this together and answer what you want? And I think again, it's making technology is just a tool and it's forever being posed to marginalized communities is how you can work for it. And again, reframe that we need to make it work for us. And
0: yeah. Amen to that that I'm with you. Um, we have some amazing questions coming in from the audience. So I want to pass it over to LaDarian to try to get some of those answered.
4: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And this has been an amazing conversation so far. Oh my God, it's a great way um, to start a Tuesday afternoon. So thank you again to the speakers um, for your responses. So we got a couple questions in the, the chat that kind of asked the same type of question, but going to circle back to something that, that Mariana said about using voices and stories within communities to shift policy and make change. Um, And also touching base on something Dr. Height said around being mature and courageous when storytelling. So curious if you all can share maybe some insight on how you can encourage people to speak their truths to people um, who are listening, who could possibly make change for them. So policymakers, other people in their community, how do you encourage someone who might feel shy or feel like their story doesn't matter to go out and speak their, their truth? So maybe let's start with Robin and then we can go to Mariana and then Dr. Haidt.
2: I think oftentimes when you're, it's when you're telling people, like, how can you tell your story in a way that's going to matter? It's, I'm, I've been repeating myself, so apologies, but it's about reframing that. And it's not about how to make this matter, it matters. So when you tell your story, when you speak it, it's going to matter. And it's understanding that not everyone is going to act on it, not everyone is going to care, but the more you continually speak on this, the more you use your voice and have this own your narrative, people will care. Eventually that space will be made for you and you can take that. And I think approaching it that way, because natives have historically been left out of things. We're not in systems. When you look often at diversity programs in the U.S., they will have multiple groups and they will have us under other. And this is our land and we're not included. And so I think it's not about making people care about us because I feel that's such a dehumanizing thing. Like, in fact, recently somebody was like, well, we need to do this campaign where we let people know that we're still here. And it's like, no we are still here, I'm not coming from this place of dehumanizing myself to like, hopefully you understand me. And, and so that how this brings it back to this, it's like, you don't come from a, I, I don't think you should approach it from a place of like, how can I make this matter or how can I get them to care? No, you matter and it people need to care and whether or not they're gonna meet you and meet that obligation is on them. Um, but that's, that would be my answer.
1: Totally, and, and that goes uh, the same. I'm sorry that I'm repeating, but it's the same, but with women. Uh, so like, we don't need to ask for people to agree that we don't want to be raped. We don't want to have miscarriage and not get, uh, you know, medical help. We don't want, we don't need them to agree. Like you say, we're going to meet them somewhere, so we are pressing, we're telling our stories, that's how important it is, because if we don't share, nobody will know and nothing will change. If we share and if we create this safe space for for women to to be safe to tell their stories and having this community of help, this will support. And again, it's not about having pity of us all, poor women, they need help, no, it's what hours? and it was has been removed like it was robin in, in your situation and i think all all the communities we are trying to address so it's about reclaiming what hours, not trying to convince anyone and just like slowly uh you know women are more than half of the population so like we just need to own that space because we are already taking the space but then we need to own it that's what i think
3: um, I mean, thinking about uh, people who are uh, reluctant, right, to speak, um, or, and it makes sense, you know, like I, I do say this, it makes sense to me um, when, um, you know, at, an, it, at a historically Black college and you have students who can't talk about loving Blackness because the entire culture has, is sort of steeped in anti-Blackness, so it makes sense to me that you believe that. So what I do believe in, though, is education. And I do think that you can teach people, um, right, you can teach people how to love Blackness. So um, a part of what I think, what I try to do initially with the reluctant sort of um, people who are afraid to tell a new story is um, I try to inspire them through the insight of history. So um, there's a documentary that I love called um, The Witness from the Balcony of Room 306. It's 30 minutes and it's awesome. And it's actually about the Reverend Billy Kyles. And he is invested in trying to figure out why he was the only person on that balcony with King, Martin Luther King Jr., when he is assassinated. And he says after 40 years, he finally figures it out. And what he figures out is that crucifixions must have witnesses and lying witnesses are are of no consequence, right? So part of what the inspiration that I try to inculcate in students is this sense that your life, that of your life, you should make yourself a consequential witness, right? Because if nothing else, your endurance suggests a survival. So what are you here to see, to observe, and to record, right? Because the way this culture would have us believe, Billy Kyle was supposed to be dead, and King was the celebrity. He was the star, right? Just like Otis Wilson. I mean, Otis uh, Redding, right? Otis Redding died, the trumpeter lived what did he live to tell what did he live to tell so if you are here you have a responsibility to make your witness consequential um and so i do i believe that you can teach that you can teach people to believe that story right and in that possibility because it's just true you have survived For what And maybe that for what is to witness.
4: Love that, Dr. Hyde. So whenever you're ready to teach a class about storytelling, I'm pretty sure we will all be, you know, (laughs) on that class Zoom. So just let us know. I'm happy to send it out to everybody (laughs) on the call. (laughs) But another question that kind of came up, Dr. Hyde, when you were talking, um, is just about all of the different stories that are out there, right? And the different mediums that we use to get stories out there. So curious to know what kind of keeps you all inspired in this realm of storytelling, even in a time where we're seeing a massive amount of stories come in from Instagram and Facebook and CNN and BBC and all over the place. How do we hold ourselves accountable to seek the truth? And what are some ways we might challenge ourselves to continue doing that as we create our own narrative? Um, Maybe we can start with, with Mariana first and then Robin and Dr. Heide again.
1: For example, this is uh, exactly the center focus of our work this ne- next coming year. We want to work with newsrooms and tell them instead of calling people out and say, you are harassing women, you are you know have misrepresentation. No, we want to say, OK, we understand you are doing poorly, like all newsrooms are actually doing poorly and we need to uh, actively want to change these. What do we want to do to work together so we can try to come up with how can we improve media? Because we already know it's bad, we just need to come up with next steps in a year. Where where do we want to be? And I think this is a constant fight and I still believe in the, the you know, journalism as a democracy panel, uh, pillar. And um, so I really will continue to fight for this.
2: For indigenous people, it's a really, indigenous people in the US, it's a really interesting thing because there's 576 federally recognized tribes in Alaska villages, just to give some context, and we're not a monolith. Um, yet we're only presented as a monolith if we're presented at all, or if we're represented at all. And so it becomes, how do we make that space, and it's, this always goes back to making sure that there's a native if you're telling the story about Natives, a Native needs to be the one behind it, whether that's writing it, whether that's filming it, whether there needs to be Natives within the room. And then it's also Natives that are part of the culture that they're telling, that are part of the community that are telling the story, that are... So, I mean, there's a lot of work that NAJA, the Native American Journalism Society is doing to work with newsrooms and to work with different media partners to ha- tell, have them tell ethical stories, but I don't have the full answer on that because it is a very, where do you start and how is this going to, how are you going to get ethical stories out when, again, this monolith just sort of follows us because we're only given the small percentage, the small space to tell our story. And then it's like, which which tribe is going to get to tell their story within that. Um, yeah, so that's not the greatest answer. Sorry.
3: I mean, I guess for me, I don't necessarily, I mean, my, the point that I was making about there being more, you know, up outlets, right, for people to tell stories doesn't necessarily mean that they're better stories. Like, so for me, a part of what that means is that there, there aren't really a lot of stories. There are a lot of outlets telling the same story <laughs> about how... You know, depressed and catastrophic Black experiences, and how glorious is Europe, okay? Um, so that's the same story just told it through different channels. So I don't actually spend a whole lot of time on that because I tend to know how that story is going to go. Um, And so uh, I had a student once, years ago, one day she asked me, class was ending and she said, so what do we have for homework? And I don't know where it came from, but I said to her, you need to just read and be quiet. And she said, Oh, you know, does it matter what we read? No, in your case, dear, just read whatever and be quiet. And listen, I thought that was the best assignment I ever gave. So do that. Just do that. And you'll be all right. Just read and be quiet. Keep going. Keep doing that.
4: I love that, Dr. Hyde, And just shout out to Dr. Height again. Although I didn't take you for English, you are one of my favorite professors at Spelman and you have always recommended great books. <laughs> just to let you know, in my book collection, I have like six Toni Morrison books now because of you. So
3: just <laughs> good for you. Yes. You could just keep reading them. Keep reading.
4: <laughs> Perfect. So as we run close to time, I'm going to give it back over to Ryan for the last question um, for the speakers.
0: Yes. Um, thank you, Ladir, and thank you for the, the questions from the audience and to our amazing speakers. Um, we're near the end of our time, unfortunately, um, but I want to end with an important question that we ask every week at Tuesday Talks, and that's for each of our speakers to share with us one thing that you're doing to create joy in your world or something in your world that's bringing you tremendous joy these days. Um, let's hear from Mariana. Robin, and we'll get our last word from Dr. Hyde.
1: I love that you asked that question. <laughs> I'm now, uh, I heritage a piece of land that my grandfather bought and I'm moving to the land. It's totally raw. I'm going to live in a, you know, a little truck and uh, getting water from the dwell and trying to shift a little bit lifestyle because uh, this has been, you know, too serious, too fast, too hard. And I'm trying to now empower my team to take Chicas, you know, and connect with the community so we can continue representing these voices. So a mix of life balance and sharing leadership. And by the way, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. How about you, Robin?
2: My audio went out, so I missed the question. I was able to hear Mariana's amazing answer, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah, no worries. I'm happy to repeat it. What's one thing that you're doing to create joy in your world these days, or something that's bringing you tremendous joy?
2: I'm really excited that the ownership that I'm getting to take over this. For the longest time, I felt really bad if I, if. I would say my story and we just launched This Is Indian Country, um, which is a whole campaign and we'll start seeing it. It'll be in Times Square next week and it's going over 3000 billboards. And I'm really excited about that. Very nervous too. But at the same time, there is a, I, I think, you know, I may talk this talk about taking ownership, but now backing that up is such an exciting feeling for me. It's such an empowering feeling. It is still scary, but um, I think that is giving me a lot of joy um, just seeing, seeing me like back up the words that I say sometimes.
0: I love it. That's beautiful. Dr. Height. over to you.
3: Yeah, uh, congratulations, Robin. That is really exciting. And uh, I agree with Mariana and Robin. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. So it's been a wonderful experience. I realized recently, I mean, literally like days ago that I'm a joiner. I used to think that I was a loner, but I think I'm a joiner. So like, I mean, if it's a, I'm in a sorority, if it's a club, I'm going to join it. And so what has happened of late is that I have 50 million group me's and then like I have these separate tech streams and um, I am having so much fun trying to like mimic the things that I see people doing on social media where they take like these gifts and they like use them to respond like so I've been enjoying like being able to do that and that thing where you say I'm going to tell my kids that this was Megan and Harry um and so like that has given me so much life because now like every time I want to make my Jack and Jill friends laugh everybody becomes the city girls (laughs) so I mean like so I have made these people into JT and Young Miami so that's been fun I'm
0: getting a lot of laughs. I love it. And I think you might be the first one to ever mention JT in Young Miami on Tuesday Talk. So shout out for that as well. Um, So I, I, I do wanna just end with, I'm off script a little bit, but I felt like this was such a powerful statement and all three of our speakers really, I think implored us to do this and that's make yourself a consequential witness. Like I just get chills even reading that again. And I think that's just the perfect charge For everyone on this call um, and our speakers leading the way in that regard. We truly all do have a voice and we have a powerful opportunity to bear witness um, to the times that we're living in. So, if you can, please unmute your uh, microphone, turn on your camera, join me in giving a round of appreciation and applause to our amazing panelists and speakers today. Thank you all for joining us.
4: Thank you so much. It's really amazing. Yes. Thank you so much.
0: So we'll keep the chat open for a few DJ Sofa is going to come on and, and uh, give us an amazing set. Thank you all for joining us again. This was such a powerful uh, conversation today. DJ Sofa, over to you.